Football is back, and so is the Ringer NFL show. Coming at you five days a week with wall-to-wall coverage from recapping the Sunday games, giving a player perspective, deep dives, and previewing the coming slate. Check out the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Folks, basketball is very good. Basketball can be very hectic at times, especially this time of year. The trade deadline is coming up this week. There's a lot of moving pieces in the NBA, but you know, there's nobody that I'd rather talk about any of this with. You know, there's nobody I'd rather talk about it more uh, than with uh, John Charks. John, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. I guess we'll just tell the truth. So we actually recorded a pod about Tyrese Halliburton and the Kings this Tuesday morning. And then we're like, we're feeling good, loving the pod. And then right before it's supposed to go out, this trade comes down and we're like, well, shoot. <laughs> so now we're back. Yeah, before we launch into that, yeah, we were getting, earlier we talked a little bit about the the CJ McCollum trade that took place. Uh Portland sent CJ to the Pelicans. Uh and we were talking kind of a, as as far as like young player adjacency goes there. Uh Anthony Simons may have like motivated that. That's something that we talked about earlier. His his sort of uh, the way he's come on lately uh maybe opened the door for them to that be a more palatable situation, a cheaper option for them too, a guy who has a lot of upside, somebody that we want to talk about more uh in the future, right? Anthony Simons, somebody that's showing a lot of promise. For sure, for sure. I mean, he's become like um, not the franchise player, but clearly they're making a lot of moves in Portland based around him now. Yeah, totally. And like I said, that's somebody that people have reached out to us about, and we're definitely putting yeah putting a pin in that. We're going to hit on them soon. But the the Halliburton thing is king. I mean, it's dominated the conversation today. I was out pacing in my yard as I have to because I have a hyperactive dog, and I had to go out in the yard and sort of just walk around aimlessly. I checked my phone, could not believe it, could not believe that the Kings traded Tyrese Halliburton. Um, so before we go into the why, what motivated this, let's specify who all was in the trade. So the Kings are sending uh, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Tristan Thompson, and a 2027 second rounder to the Pacers for DeMontis Sabonis, Justin Holiday, and Jeremy Lamb. Lamb was, was listed uh, <laughs> twice initially in the, the initial Woj tweet here and there. But uh, what do you think motivated this 
I mean, it seems like the, the consensus among people is like hands in the air. Why the hell would the Kings do this? Because on the surface, Halliburton has really seemed to have won over the basketball public with over Fox. I don't know if it was as clear in the beginning, but he's clearly cemented himself as an asset that everybody thought they were going to keep. Sharks, why would they do this? What type of a decision do you think this was? Well, there's a lot of factors that go into it. I'm also glad you actually gave the trade and you caught yourself because I was definitely going to call you out on that <laughs> for just launching into the Halliburton discussion I believe you. without any pretext. Right. <laughs> Where do you want to start with Sacramento? As I think they were in a position, to me, it all goes back to drafting Tyrese Halliburton and Davion Mitchell when you already had De'Aaron Fox and consecutive drafts. So that leads in this position where you have three young point guards who are all kind of eating into each other's minutes, eating into each other's touches, eating into each other's responsibility and role on the team. And it just felt, even from the start of the season, De'Aaron Fox has looked like himself at all, all season. And it just felt like there was too many cooks in the kitchen. They kind of had to make a trade. And I think the GM, Monty McNair, he said after they drafted Mitchell, he said, oh, well, we just drafted best player available. But the logic of that breaks down pretty fast when, okay, yeah, we can make a trade later, but now everybody knows you want to make a trade, right? So you really have no leverage at that point. And then on top of that, all your assets are making each other worse because I think Mitchell has not been very good this year, primarily because he's stuck in a very small role. Fox has really struggled sharing the ball with these other two guys. And Halliburton's been the best player, which we can get into in a second, but Halliburton is by far of those three guards, the one who's most easily, he can fit into almost any situation. So he's thriving in the chaos of Sacramento while these other two guards are struggling. And I think the question is less, why did the Kings trade Halliburton as much as if I'm the Pacers, I would want Halliburton back in a trade, right? It's a two-way street. I think Indiana said, okay, maybe, I don't know, I, I can't say exactly how the trade negotiations went down. It would not shock me, though, if Indiana said, we don't want De'Aaron Fox on his massive contract underperforming this season. We'd much rather have the younger point guard in Halliburton. So if you want Sabonis, this is the trade you have to make. That, that's my initial suspicion, at least. The thing that this all hinges on to me is that Fox, the, the assets that we had heard in the conversa conversations about like what Fox could bring back potentially to supplement Halliburton didn't seem as strong as what if they want if they pivoted and wanted to say okay well what since Halliburton is more valuable and the Kings are lucky because Halliburton saved their ass twice now even though they decided not to keep you know thank God that he wanted to push his way to the Kings I have no idea I don't know about the genesis of that story why because I'd heard that he did say he singled out the Kings and wanted to go to them but now they're in this situation where this past rebuild didn't really work ostensibly, and you're you're seeing a situation where they pivoted and said, "Okay, you know, we could keep Halliburton and see what Fox can get us." There's, the appetite for that seemed a lot lower. The appetite for Halliburton around the league, I think people see a guy who's like insanely versatile. We'll talk more about that if you're a Pacers fan. I don't know if you're if you're a Pacers fan if you would have been listening to a show like ours. Good to have you if you're with us, but we'll talk more about what he is like as a player. You know, they've pivoted, and I think that it was just going to kind of prevent them from being in the desert, like the total desert, for a little longer. But I, if I'm looking at this team on the Kings side of it, I know these guys aren't, this isn't like the youngest player part of the conversation, but 
the Kings now have swapped a guy who was a great playmaker, a guy who's like is malleable, contextually could play with a lot of different situations, like you said, um, for a guy like Sabonis, who is a really high value player. Like he's one of the best screen setters, one of the best like elbow creators in the game right now. Do you think there's a potential where he could balance? Like he's not going to cannibalize Fox's touches as much. He's somebody that could fit with him. Like he's one of the better like dribble handoff players in the world. What does it, to me, this doesn't really change who the King, it doesn't loft them into like a serious competitive team. What do you think it does for the Kings in the short term? Does it really change the situation for them? What What do you think? Just quickly here. I think, you know, the race for the 10 seed is on. You know, a Sacramento and New Orleans clearly value getting into the playing race. I think if you're Sacramento, you're hoping that Fox will play better without Halliburton here, which is a risky move. But you're hoping, okay, we can move De'Aaron back into a bigger role. And I think what makes this so fascinating is that, so De'Aaron Fox has been out the last two weeks and it's been kind of a weird situation. You look at the quotes, uh, Alvin Gentry even said, oh yeah, if it was the playoffs, he'd be playing. And then everyone was like, okay, what's going on here? And the assumption was, oh, they're holding out De'Aaron Fox so they can trade him. But maybe they are holding out De'Aaron Fox so they can showcase Tyrese Halliburton. Because that's what's been so fascinating about this is the last two weeks, the Kings have been kind of the Tyrese Halliburton, Davion Mitchell show. And that's been a very different looking team. Halliburton, since Fox has been out, has been one of the highest touch guys in the entire league. The offense has really run through him. You said it was in the high 90s, didn't you? His touches, it was like up in the 90s, almost 100. Nine, 96 touches per game in the last eight games. And for reference, I think Jokic leads the league and touches at like 100. So that's extremely high. Like that's at the top. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we really kind of got to see Tyrese Halliburton in a primary role over the last eight games. And then he had the game against the King, against the Sixers, where he dropped 38. And everyone's kind of trying to connect the dots there about a possible trade because he's been linked to the Sixers for like two years now, basically, with the whole Simmons thing. And I think it's a good point of any to say like, Let's talk about Tyrese Halliburton and why everyone was kind of so up in arms about it because he has looked really good in the stretch. Yes, yes. And so scouting report, if you don't know much about Tyrese Halliburton, uh, this is a guy who is a point guard who is a super high efficiency player. The thing that we were like really, really in on him about when he was coming into the draft is this guy could fit in any situation because he can create a lot of efficiency and production without needing to be ball dominant. Um, he is a really clever playmaker. He's a guy who's grown as a pick and roll player early in his career. Um, we were talking earlier about if you look at Halliburton's shot chart, he's a versatile shooter. You can you can jump in on this anywhere you like. Uh, I mean, I think that he's. Uh, like a dribble pull-up three-point shooter. I think that he can catch and shoot. I think he can catch and shoot and relocate. Um, offensively, where do you see, how would you describe beyond that? It, it, what else would you add to that about him as an offensive player, like as a scorer? Hey, drop the stat about uh, Tyrese with Draymond Green and Chris Paul. I think that's a good place to start, your stat you had. Yeah, when we're talking about high efficiency uh, and a lot and producing a lot without needing the ball. So uh, this is a this is a sort of a window like a stat filter that really clarifies what we're talking about. Um only four players in the NBA, just check out this company, uh have done 
over 30% assist percentage, over 55% true shooting, and under 20% usage. So that's a lot of production, low usage. Four players have done that. Three of them are Draymond Green, Chris Paul, and Kyle Lowry. And the other one is Tyrese Halliburton. That is, that's a guy who has a maturity that is beyond his years. He's somebody that can fit in a lot of situations. So, something that's funny is you and I were talking about like the Kings decided to draft, draft Mitchell, which seemed like a ripple out moment for this, uh, for the Kings. A person they passed on was Chris Duarte. Well, okay, lo and behold, he gets traded to Indiana. Now he's going to be paired with Duarte. What do you think about the Duarte-Halliburton pairing? And there's more to it, but just on that one to start with. Yeah, I mean, I think... And what made it interesting in Sacramento the last few weeks was because with De'Aaron Fox is tough because teams don't really respect his jump shot. So when he's playing off the ball, he's just not very effective. And that kind of limits the players around him because they can't hold the ball and have him him like uh, impact the defense, right? They're going to get, the defense is going to sag off De'Aaron. Whereas with Tyrese and Davion, they, they could play more back and forth where they're going on off the ball interchangeably. And I think that's the idea, too, if you're Indiana now with Duarte and Halliburton. You've got a lot of size now. You had a pretty big backcourt going 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six, and they both kind of have that on-off ability. You would say Tyrese is going to be the lead guy. Duarte will be the secondary guy, most likely. Malcolm Brogdon's there, but I don't expect them to bring back Malcolm Brogdon this season. They already, I believe they have the fifth worst record in the league right now. So there's really no incentive for Indiana to do, not, to do anything but really bottom out this season, try to get a top four pick, and then turn it around next season. And I think what makes Halliburton so good and why I think people like, I mean, I personally, I just love watching Halliburton play. In the draft, we were kind of calling him the third ball brother because it's the way he moves the ball. Like he was, as we were saying, like he's number three in touches over the last eight games. He's also number three in passes. So it's not, it's not like a high touch style, like a Luca or a James Harden where he's the center of everything. He's dribbling the ball all the time. Like when Tyrese has the ball, he's always looking to move it. And it's funny. So I profiled Tyrese going into his sophomore year at Iowa State. And I remember talking to his college coach, Steve Prom, And Prom was telling me how Tyrese is one of the first players where he brought him into his preseason meeting. He said, you need to shoot the ball more. You pass way too much. And that just like never happens with basketball players, even point guards, right? The overall majority of basketball players want to shoot the ball. They want to get their shots up and they kind of have to be held back. Whereas Tyrese almost has to be pushed forward because he's always looking to pass. And it's funny, like a lot of his pick and rolls, he'll make, he'll get the screen, he'll come around it, but then he'll wait the extra half second where everyone else will just shoot the ball. Then he'll dump it off to one of his big men or a shooter at the very last second. And it's like, I feel like that's the kind of player everybody likes to play with, right? Like, I would just think, like, if you play with Tyrese Halliburton, you're going to get the ball. You're going to get it in the right spots. And, like, yeah, I just love the idea of building around him because, like, you, like that stat said, you've got a really high-efficiency player. He really passes the ball, and he can defend multiple positions. So it's just such a seamless fit no matter where he goes. Yeah, you're talking about like he he's somebody that can really exploit like the window of an opportunity for a pass. You're talking about holding it for that extra second. Something that he's really good at and Pacers fans are going to see this is in the pick and roll specifically, Tyrese is a three-level scorer. Like he's not so much, he's not as 
much of a, like a foul generator. He doesn't get to the line a ton. He's pretty light of build, which affects him defensively too. So he's more of a clever off-ball player. So I wouldn't expect that from him. Uh, he could grow into that. But if you look at him like as a pick-and-roll player, he'll get into the middle of the floor, and he's so tough because he has a great floater game in that you know in the paint. Uh, he's really good at selling that he's going to shoot that floater. So he can engage the big guy. And if you respond to the floater, he's really good at kicking it uh, to the to the wing. And then uh, and then he can also make that lob uh, to the big. And somebody that I think, I think that it's justifiable, uh, you know, Woj reported that the sources had kind of said that Miles was excited about playing with Halliburton. Absolutely. Also, I think it's going to have an impact on our guy, Isaiah Jackson. He's a good lob thrower. Um, I think that it's just interesting for the Pacers. It's a it's a coup for them. I mean, I, I, I've seen a lot of Pacers fans celebrating. Um, do you think that they got a somebody with like star upside is something that I would ask you. That is the question. I think it'll be really interesting these next few months to see kind of like we've been saying the last few games in Sacramento, where it was really the first time in his NBA career where he got to have the offense run through him and he wasn't playing off De'Aaron. The next few months in Indiana will be the same kind of thing. The question with Tyrese has always been, how high can the offense max out? He is such a great passer. He's not a natural scorer. He kind of more scores on the flow of the offense. He has a step-back shot. The jumper is a little unwieldy, so it's not the prettiest looking jumper you ever seen in your life, but for sure. I would say unpopular mechanics. That's 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 what I always say. He's got a funky awkwardness to the way that he shoots. It's like a little out in front of his face, a little weird, but it goes in. And it's gone in at every level. Like he can he can make shots. Like he's like a 40% dribble. Okay, I'll tell you a few Tyree stories since we're talking about him based on that. So when I profiled him, I kind of did a deep dive, talked to a lot of his coaches growing up. And his main coach in like high school, middle school, his trainer, he was telling me Tyrese used to shoot from like his knees and coming into high school. And he said, this is never going to work. You have to totally change your shot if you want to play at a higher level. And he just said, I told Tyrese they did mic and drills for like hours and hours in the summer. And Tyrese drive like an hour to do like, just to do mic and drills, not even a jump shot. Doing a mic. So the mic and drill is like the fundamental drill of any young basketball player, named for George Mike, and where you sit under the basket, left hand off the glass, right hand off the glass. It's like it's like the most fundamental thing you can possibly do, basically. And so he just spent like hours and hours working that and rebuilding his shot. And it's almost like it's like a, I think the word I we were talking about is like brutally efficient. Like it's not the most aesthetically pleasing but it's a brutally efficient way of getting the shot to the basket, essentially. Yeah, he's he's over. I, I did a Tyrese Halliburton. I know we're pumping up things we've done in the past, but go read that piece from Charles. Uh, go, I did a video where I actually charted and chronicled this exact thing. I went back and found like the early, I was like going back and watching, I, I forget the name of the, high school he played for Oshkosh I think Oshkosh, is the school yeah. uh and and like was just watching him he did literally shoot from his knees and push it up through his chin and you could slowly watch his elbow come up as he got older and got stronger but this is a smart guy that's the thing i mean Halliburton we talked about that efficiency stat the commonality with like CP3 Draymond Kyle uh yeah those guys that is the company of like intelligent players this is a guy that's going to play in the league and be if he's this smart now just think about where he's going to be years from now. Um, and something, did you, you were going to pop in there on something? There? I, was, I was just going to say, 
that's just the kind of player he is that people like me and Kyle would be featuring him years ago. Like that just kind of tells you the kind of player he is that we, like the basketball nerd crowd, the ones who probably got so upset about the trade are so into him because of that. And it's funny he's on the team with Malcolm Brogdon because Brogdon's nickname in college was like the chief of staff or something like that. He's, they thought it would be a future senator or something, right? Well, Tyrese's coach told me, and I thought it was just an interesting thing to say. He said, okay, Tyrese eventually will be the kind of guy who would be the president of the players union when he's older. It's like, that's just the kind of his personality, natural leader, people gravitate towards him. And my favorite story with Halliburton. So he's in Wisconsin. He actually was teammates with Tyler Hero in middle school on an AAU team. And this is like a, at that level, it's like independent. They're not affiliated. So and the AAU circuit, it's like Nike, Under Armour, Adidas. And like all the top teams play on these circuits. These are the circuits that get the most attention nationally. And so Tyrese and Tyler Hero, they're both playing really well. And these bigger programs in Wisconsin are saying, okay, we want you guys to come play for us. We're higher profile. We can boost your name if you come play for us. Like, this is what you do. This is kind of like the pecking order of young youth basketball. And Tyrese Halliburton is like, I can't do that. I can't leave this team. These coaches who have done so much for me, they've invested in me. I'm going to stick with them. And then the story is heroes like, are you crazy, bro? Like, what is wrong with you? We got to go get our, get our shine. And so then that's, so Hero leaves. And that's why Hero was an All-American coming out of high school. Whereas Halliburton was like a three-star recruit. No one even really heard of because he wasn't playing on the shoe circuits. Yeah, that can happen with guys sometimes. I know we're getting off on like something we love to talk about grassroots, you know, endless well of nerdnum down there. But I mean, that can cause guys. He's been on this track of being like, People doubting him, he proves him wrong, when really he's just kind of been this good the whole time, if you pay attention. And anybody that pays attention to Halliburton loves him to death. Something um, something else that I wanted to ask you about, um, I would, well, I wanted to tack on there too. I love any offense where you have interchangeability at one, two, three. And if you can have a pick and roll player at one, two, three, healed actually is going to be interesting too because he'll have actually something to space for where he hasn't really had an opportunity to do that yet. That'll be an interesting thing to see if he has a renaissance. Rick Carlisle's a part of this. You are a Carlisle scholar, somebody that knows a lot. How do you feel about this Carlisle-Halliburton dynamic? What do you expect from it? Give us, give us, paint a picture if you can. I think the main thing with Carlisle is he's just all about efficiency. So when like the trade came down, my first thought was, I guarantee you Carlisle said, I want Halliburton, not Fox. Like that's more of the player Carlisle prefers He's a he he loves spacing and he loves efficiency. Neither one of those things is De'Aaron's hallmark. It was the same thing. Like you're really seeing Carlisle now start to reshape the team according to his preferences. They shipped out Karis Levert a couple of days ago, too. Under the same, I think the same basic logic. Carlisle wants to always have four shooters on the floor and a roll man. Well, if you look at like a four shooters and a roll man system. That doesn't really fit Sabonis' game either because Sabonis needs to be on a bigger team with rim protection behind him, right? So he really can't be a role man because he needs a five with him. And they even like you have Turner, but that's still two bigs. It just doesn't really fit the kind of system Carlisle wants. Whereas Halliburton, he's so efficient, such a smart player. He can be your point guard on your pick and roll system, or he can be a number two off another point guard. 
And that would be my guess is that interchangeability and efficiency is why Carlisle would have targeted him. I cannot wait to watch. Actually, I was saying I was making the point uh, that's there. He's going to be closer to me now, so I'm, I'm like two hours away. I might be able to pop up and I will, see them. I will say this: I, I'll wait to watch next season. I, I kind of expect Indiana to be tanking the rest of this year, right? Like, well, it makes imagine sense to what me. that that pick that's looming there. I mean, it's just amazing that Indiana is one of these franchises that like threads the needle. They never. They, you know, they always have find a way to like thread that needle so that they can stay kind of in the conversation. We'll see how high they can go from this. But that pick hovering there is really interesting. And I was kind of playing out scenarios. I'm like, if they could get in that four or five range, what if they got somebody like AJ Griffin or something like that? What if well, they right now they have the fifth worst record right now? The, re- the team is basically Halliburton, Duarte, Buddy Heald and G leaguers. I saw a good point that Scott Agnes, who runs a great Pacers newsletter for anyone, Pacers fans out there, he said, it, he kind of pointed back to that Paul George trade where he said, we, they went and traded Paul George for younger players on their rookie deals with Upside, aka Sabonis. And I've done it again with Halliburton. It's a big splash in terms of, I don't, I don't know if I'd say it's like block, like huge, like colossal league shifting type deal, but it could be down the road because Halliburton could. Definitely, I I mean, I think he's my favorite player in the deal. Um, I like and I like Sabonis. I think the Sabonis Rashawn Holmes thing is interesting. I kind of wonder if it's going to open the door for Sack to make like another move. Um, but uh, yeah, it's for the Pacers. It's a, a huge win, huge win for them. Well, it's a blockbuster in upside high circles. Uh, I don't it know is about league wide, sure. but <laughs> for our brand, big day, big day. <laughs> And it's going to be really interesting to watch this play out for the Pacers, see where they can go. And uh, speaking of trades, t- talking about, speaking of like the shifting landscape of the of the league involving young players, uh, we're going to talk about another player for the 76ers, Tyrese Maxey and his development. And we're going to do that after the break. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month. 
just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. So, Sharks, Tyrese Maxey, another guy who is like a scoring guard, a guy who's in a situation with a superstar in Philadelphia. What have you seen from Tyrese Maxey in year two that you're liking? When you're a lead guard, when you're six foot two, six foot three, to maximize yourself, you're going to have to have the ball. And last year, Maxey was playing off Simmons, playing off Embiid in a pretty small role. He showed flashes. This year, with Simmons's, I guess, what word do you want to use? Like self-imposed exile or however you want to phrase it. Self-imposed exile. <laughs> He's like Batman secluded in his in the West Wing of his house. Yeah, we don't know what's going on over there. Will he be back? I don't know. This is Batman before the third one where he's just, he's lost the will to live and he's just sitting in his cave all day. So right. Maxie, with, with Simmons gone, now Maxie's become the lead guard in Philadelphia. And he's really getting a chance to show what he can do. He's scoring a lot. He's really developed some chemistry with Joel Embiid. He's just been a, he's just been a really impressive player, especially for a guy who was taken 21st. Uh, he had a big game, uh, just for the most relevant aspect of this conversation, he had a big game against Chicago last night, 16 points, three for four for, from three, six assists, three steals in 38 minutes. But you're right about the opportunity is huge. And I was going to ask you, um, I think this kind of ties to what the conversation was about since we like to track development on this show, we like to talk about where you come from, where you are, where you're going, basically. is We, we like to kind of track that. Um, Maxi coming into the league, what do you think that the sort of consensus opinion on him, let's give an idea for people maybe who haven't seen him, What? how would you describe his profile as a player? Like what's his preferences or player type? How does Tyrese Maxi play in general? Well, he's just talking. He's a six, I guess he's about six two, six three. It's kind of same general size range you've been talking about. Really aggressive. Kind of the knock on him coming out of Kentucky was okay. He's not really a point guard, but he's got point guard size. How much is he going to be featured on offense? And then the thought was, oh, playing with Ben Simmons would be a great fit for Tyrese Maxey because he can guard up point guards without having to run point himself. And I think the most relevant part of it is the fact that now he's become a major piece in this potential James Harden-Ben Simmons trade where Brooklyn is wanting a lot of assets to go flip Harden to Philly. And Philly's saying, we're not going to do that. We're not going to give up Tyrese Maxey. I believe the quote was like, he's off the trade table or something like that. Yeah, uh, he's... He's become a really, he's really had a huge surge in, in Philadelphia uh, and become a really valuable piece for them. Um, I was going to say another a, a word that I had written down here is kinetic. Like Tyrese Maxey is insanely kinetic when you're watching him play on the floor. He, he's always moving, high energy, sort of like a solidly built. I was saying he, he's, he has some parallels with like Colin Sexton. Uh, in terms of how he's built, he's not quite as like vertically explosive as Sexton, but he's he's very fast. Um, I, I wrote down here that he is third in the NBA in distance traveled per game, um, and he's just very very fast with the ball. One of the big questions for him, though, I think, has been that sort of dial between. You talked about him not playing point guard necessarily, 
him sort of like transitioning and 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 uh, moving towards assuming some of those duties, you know, because a lot of what Philadelphia does, they run more post offense. We know, understandably, justifiably, because they had the best post up player. I mean, him and Jokic. I would say, who would you say overall? Just real quick, if you had to say who's a better post scorer, general, like producing offense. Well, don't get me in trouble right now, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> just real quick, who, do you, who would you take? I'm just saying they're both they're both great. And I think it's like. With Embiid and Jokic, it's less about like low. Obviously, low post is a big part of their game. I think for Embiid, the last two years, it's that high post, the face up 18 footer, the ability to create his own shot from the middle of the floor. That's where he, I think that's what's really elevated him over the last couple of years is that transition towards not just strictly five feet from the rim, drop set dunk. He's a pretty well rounded scorer now at seven feet tall, too. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess the, the basic idea here is when they took Maxi, I was just imagining him orbiting <laughs> Joel Embiid like a comet, like this just this just ball of energy. It's always a word I use for him where um, he just can kind of go get buckets and do th- things like that. But he has slowly improved over the past three years. And I'm tying his Kentucky team. He played a lot more off the ball. He played with Ashton Hagens and Emmanuel Quickly um, at Kentucky, a three guard lineup. But he's been playing more pick and roll in the last three years. His efficiency has gone up from 0.92 in, in, at Kentucky to 0.98 in year one uh, for Philly. And in year three, he's 1.03. Um, and, and carrying his, his reps have gone up too. Uh, last year, it was 35.3% of his possessions. This year, it's 47.8. So he has the ball in his hands a lot. And he's shooting the ball a lot better, taking care of the ball really well. What do you think about him? You know, we're talking about that transition from scorer. For people who don't know, for people who do, he's got like a crazy middle game. He's kind of kind of got like that, like he's got that like bucket getter type game. Would you say like he's not? He doesn't strike me as like a pure shooter, but he's not a bad shooter. I talked about Sexton. I think that Maxi's shooting upside is a lot higher than Sexton's. Um, what do you feel about what do you what do you feel like the pluses are of his offensive game? Before we talk about the playmaking part of it. I think downhill, like getting to the rim, the middle, at least the middle game, the floater game. Like we talked about the Memphis Grizzlies a few weeks ago and how they have so many guys that have to shoot floaters from like 12 feet, 10 feet. Maxi would fit in right there. It's like, then that, and that's just creating your own shot. That's putting pressure on the defense, right? If you're getting to 12 feet, 10 feet and shooting, they've got to collapse on you a little bit. And that opens up the rest of your game. And I think it's worth pointing out because it's, it's just not very intuitive. And this is something I've noticed with John Calipari guards. I think this is an important point. So the, I think the reason Tyrese Maxey went 21 is to go back to his college team. He's playing with Emmanuel Quickly, who went a little behind him. And they're both playing off the ball off another guard named Ashton Hagens. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's the thing. I couldn't so, control it. <laughs> What's happening is, is John Calipari is doing a really good job of finding NBA caliber guards in high school. And he's collecting them on his team in college and not necessarily maximizing them. So what's happening is a lot of times John Calipari's guards actually have a bigger role in the NBA than they did in college. And where that becomes important is because in the draft, so much of the draft is statistics and it's like your profile. And so, okay, if you're the top scorer on a top team, teams are going to look at you a little harder. Whereas if you're like the number three scorer on a good team, 
like it's like a little harder to believe in you in a bigger role in the NBA because intuitively you would think, okay, everyone and every NBA player is going to have a big role in college and have to learn to adapt to a smaller role in the NBA. But with Kentucky guards, that's not happening. It's the reverse is happening. And I think it actually could help their development is they're being forced to be in a smaller role in college and learning how to play on and off the ball. And then they already have that skill set in their bag. They get to the NBA and then actually they're getting bigger roles. Yeah, it seems like it'd be easier to go to start from that place. And that's one of the like arguments that I've heard people make for playing at like a high major program like that with other talented players is because it gives it pulls you away from that like Cole Anthony model where it's like you're going towards this situation where you you're going to be the focal point of the offense. And it's like you're going to be playing in sort of a like talent hierarchy that is going to most reflect what you're going to be like and I in at the next level. And I think whenever we're drafting players, it seems like we're more willing to pull guys earlier in the draft who have shown less counting stat production because we're like, it's no big deal. Like, we're not going to be leaning on you to do that. You know, I feel like the leniency is a lot higher. Whereas somebody like Maxi, we're like, okay, when you come into the league, we didn't see you play on ball. We're not super confident about you doing that. It, do you kind of see what I'm saying about like it seems like people are less willing to assume that the the production, the on ball production is going to be there? And I think one of the reasons that Cal does that specifically is I've said this a million times is that he the thing about the high major coaches is that they have to also win games. Th- these are like high major programs that are under, under pressure to win games. I don't think that Cal specifically, just stylistically, he doesn't like to put shooters who might create like wastefulness that would cause them to lose games. Like he didn't put Jamal Murray at point guard. He didn't put Tyler Hero at point guard. He didn't put Tyrese Maxey at point guard. I think that's why he does it. And then we see these guys come into the league and they sort of blossom into these roles. Okay, so I like that you went back a little bit. And I think here's an interesting way to look at this. So I went back to look at recruiting rankings for all these Kentucky guards. And I think what stands out, so Tyrese Maxey, he's number 10 in the recruiting rankings for his class. And a couple of the point guards who are put above him in those rankings, these are guys I think most NBA fans might have heard of. So Nico Mannion, he was drafted by the Warriors last year. Scotty Lewis, I believe he's on the Hornets on a G League contract. And Cole Anthony. And what I'm the point is that after like the top three or four or five in the recruiting rankings, it becomes pretty jumbled pretty fast. And so just because like you're number six versus number 15, I found that distinction doesn't mean much. And here's what I'm getting at. So that's 2019. In 2018, Emmanuel Quickly was the 23rd best player in his class. Tyler Hero was 35th. In 2017, Shea Gillis Alexander was 30th. So what I'm saying is I think John Calipari would be a really good NBA scout is what I'm saying is I think he has a really good ability to dive into like a recruiting class and say, who are the lead guards who are the best? Who do I actually want? And that range from like 10 to 30, where there's like maybe six or seven lead guards. I think Cal's shown the ability to find the one or two guys who are the best prospects and say, that's the guy I want at Kentucky. He has the most talent. So he's grabbing these best NBA guards and they just putting them in a spot where they're not getting to show what they can fully do in college. All that to say is, like, the more and more I've looked at this, the more I think 
secondary guards at Kentucky, you have to really, really evaluate carefully because they're often better than what they seem in college. Yeah. For that reason that I was saying too, is that like, sometimes there are, there are skills there that are like on ball potential, like creator skills that he's just not willing stylistically. Like he doesn't like above the break threes and pick and roll. He's not a big fan. It wasn't in the past. You're talking about him evaluating people. He had to be convinced to get Tyler hero and, uh, and beg to get him. So I'll just throw that in there. I don't want to give him too much credit, uh, but <laughs> talking about Maxi, um, he's, he has a really great, like off speed game. I've noticed that like he can, he's gotten really better at like, at really good at like finishing off the high glass either side. He's solid with that. He's really gets his body into people. He has a sort of odd, have you noticed how he has sort of an odd angling, odd leaning way that he shoots the ball? He seems like he's like leaning downhill a lot when he shoots the ball or uh, has he has just a lot of that like awkward off balance game. He's very crafty. I think that all falls into the category of like crafty. Yeah. Where he's not, like Max, he's a good athlete. I wouldn't say he's like the best athlete on the floor rarely. So he's just like, he's learned how to maximize what he has. Maximize, score, right? Score you know? a little bit of unconventional ways. That's not bad. I like that. <laughs> no, it's bad. It's definitely <laughs> bad. So we're talking about, we know he could do those things. We know that he you can throw him in. This is just sort of, his minutes have like just jumped up a lot. and His efficiencies have jumped as well. So last year, he was 30.1% from three, 40% this year. Uh, he's up to his rebounds, 3.5. The assists are up, 4.8. The points are up, 16.9. True shooting's up. Dribble pull-up jumpers are up. The assists are what I'm interested in, though. Do you see what what do we think the passing cuz I don't think that he's like an intuitive inherent surgical uh playmaking technician. I don't see him as that type of player, but I do see him as somebody who is on the same sort of trajectory as like a scoring wing. He's just in a smaller frame. Like I see him as sort of a steward of good offense. Um making like simple passes. He doesn't have to get in and like tweak the offense in the way that like a, another playmaker would. Um, do you think that his upside as a playmaker is enough for Philadelphia? Or do you think that, like, does the Harden conversation factor into this, that they need another player like that who can manipulate the defense? How do you think that his playmaking upside affects, like, what Philly is going to do going forward? And should it? You hesitate to put a ceiling on a guy who's already exceeded expectations, right? So I don't want to say, oh, this guy can't be an all-star point guard. He's obviously made a huge leap this year. I've always kind of put him in like the Terry Rozier bucket of like, this is a guy who could get 18 to 20 points if he's not a primary ball handler on a good team. And if he's playing off, you know, he's already shown he can play off an, an elite star. So you can have that offensive production. And if you can get playmaking from a different position as well as your point guard, like I would not expect somebody like James Harden I don't I think I ever expect Terry, I mean, I don't ever expect Maxi to be like running 30 pick and rolls a game, being the hub of the offense and like holding the ball, you know, the whole time. I'd be surprised if that happened. But in a smaller role, like a Terry Rozier, he's playing off Lamelo, he can be a consistent scorer, provide secondary playmaking. I, I, that's what I would expect. I don't expect him to be the focal point of a good team. But I mean, he's already exceeded expectations, so it's hard to say, you know. Yeah, I mean, if he ever really gets into that situation, like he's pretty good at like coming off of a pick and roll, seeing single coverage, throwing it to the throwing it to the guy who's popping, or you know, kicking across kicking across the floor. He doesn't really play with like a slow pace, 
But I don't know that he necessarily needs to. I think that like he, right now at this age, like one of the big weapons that he has is the fact that he is super fast. Like he needs to exploit that, get downhill. They have shooters. Um, you know, I, I think that him with Seth Curry is an interesting pairing too. Um, but I, I don't know that I don't know that he necessarily needs to has to play that way because of his strengths right now. It's kind of interesting to pit him against or sort of pair him against like Darius Garland. I think Garland's a little bit more has like more ball skills, not not necessarily as much of a like blitz you with his speed type player. Um, but if he does start to add some of that like manipulative playmaking. He could flirt with the all-star conversation. I could see that because at that point, he becomes like a more balanced player. Thanks for joining us on Upside High. If you were new to this show, this is what we do. Every single week, we talk about young players, the youth movement in basketball, who's in the NBA, they're thriving, why, why not, who's headed towards the NBA, things like that. And uh, keep an eye on the Ringer NBA feed coming up because as we saw, things can change in a New York minute. Things can change at the drop of a hat. So watch the NBA feed, all the different shows that we have. We're going to be talking about these things uh, up to the minute as fast and as frequent and as in-depth as we possibly can because we love it. We know you love it too. And you can find that on Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And check out Charks' work on the Ringer.com and my stuff on YouTube as well. So we'll see you next time. Yeah.